0: So, I, I want to, before we jump in, I, I want to take a second and I want to thank uh, some, some awesome guys who were, were willing to come out yesterday, despite rain and weather or whatever, and work in that, that hot muggy building over there, like totally dragging out, soaking, sopping wet carpet. Thank you, Shane, Carl, Paul. Uh, thank you, Dan. And, uh, and Joy and Miss Kathy. They were also here. I mean, we, we had some ladies out here helping us, too. So, I mean, it was... It was great, and we got some things done that we needed to really get done. Um, and so I just want to say thank you guys for doing that. This week that we're, that we're here, this morning, this Sunday, is our second Sunday actually getting into the letter of First Peter. It was kind of a long time coming. It took several, several tries, I guess, to kind of get there, where we were looking at the, who Peter was and his life. And so this morning, here's what I want us to do. We're going to continue from last week, and raise your hand if, if you were here last week and you remember... Oh, oh, Jeff cut his hand up, oh, but it's gone now, right? Yeah. But, but seriously, raise your hand if you remember. I'm not going to call you out. But raise your hand if you remember what we were talking about last week. All right, we got a couple. We got a few. That's good, that's good. Don't worry, I know it's summertime. We're out of practice with the school. We're not regurgitating information right now. But listen, last week we looked at the first two verses. We got, like, super deep into 1 Peter, man. We almost knocked out the first chapter, right? We got through two verses. And the whole time, we got to see the theology of Peter. We got to see what Peter believed about God. And if you remember, I said the reason that was important was because Peter was there. He was an eyewitness of who Jesus was. He walked with him. He ate with him. He listened to him teach. I mean, would you not love to have been able to sit before Jesus and just listen to the guy, much less get to, get to you know touch his hand as he reached out to save you from plummeting into the sea, like Peter did, you know? But Jesus was there. And so Peter got to learn firsthand from the Son of God who God was. And so I said this. I said, true theology is knowing and loving God. It's not based upon what we want to believe about God. It's not based upon what we we think about God. It's based upon what God says, who he says he is, and who he's proven to be in our lives. That's true theology, and it always leads us to love him more. And so this morning, we're going to continue this series. We we call it revolutionary because there are some concepts in 1 Peter that are not typical. They go against the the normal uh, grain of our our world today, our culture. And so I want to invite you now to look. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. Please do that. All right? Because I I don't want to just be up here and and, and talking. I know we're going to have some words on the screen, so you'll be able to, to read along. But it would be so cool if you were checking me to make sure that what I was saying was biblical, all right? So if you've got your your, your Bible, whether it's on your phone or a hard copy in your lap, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at chapter 1 of 1 Peter in verses 3 through 9, okay? So just the very next uh, part. And in this, we're going to kind of encounter the concept of salvation. He's going to expand a little bit more on what uh, what salvation is, okay? Okay? So we kind of talked about it last week when we talked about the atonement, remember? We talked about how Jesus sprinkles us with his blood and it's a crazy thing to say, but it's really just symbolic and means something. It's how he invites us into the covenant and when he died on the cross, not only did he pay the price for our sins, but he also, by doing that, promised that you would never have to face the wrath of God because he faced it for you. And so that was his covenant, that if you believe in me, you will never die, but have eternal life. And to prove that it was legit, Jesus went to the cross. To prove that it was powerful enough to call you out of death and into life, he did not stay dead. And that's where we find ourselves here this morning. in in verse 3 and following of, of First Peter, but, but I think there's some setup that needs to kind of happen. Because I think all too often we kind of come to church and we have all of this information at the back of our minds. Yes? We know that we know that Jesus saves us. We know what he did on the cross. Many of us are perhaps very familiar with how, you know, we're not good enough to deserve that. Because we've sinned. Or maybe like a couple of weeks ago we talked about the shame we carry around. Right? So we're familiar with these things, but all too often we can kind of come to church and, and we come to church expecting maybe like a deeper Bible study, or maybe we come to church because we're expecting the recharge because work or life has just been it's been a long week. Anybody there this morning? It's kind of been a long week for me. Alright? And so it's great that we can come to church because we can trust that we can encounter God, that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us through his word. If we go to a Bible-believing church, that is. Right? But listen. I think all too often we move past what Jesus has done for us. And we start looking to what He can do for us now. As if there's something left that needs to be done. And this is because we're so focused on things that we think that we need. Whether it's a financial situation or we're so focused on the fact that, man... We need God to move and show up and show out because we recognize maybe we can't do it. Maybe it's a sick, a sick loved one or, or something. And we're trusting and we need God. We're, we're desiring God to move on their behalf. And so if we're not careful, when we come here and we sit in these chairs and when we open the Bible, we start making demands of God and looking for, for things now. And we just we, we put what Jesus did on the cross, we put it on the back burner or we put it up on the shelf. And that's what I loved about the, these songs we were singing. Every single one of them was about who? It's about Jesus. Every single one of them was about the work of God. Okay? And so this morning I want to take a pause. I'm going to hit the pause button. And before we start to look at some of the, 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 the meat that's coming later in 1 Peter, I want to encourage you to do something I had to do this week. I almost skipped these verses to get to something in my mind better. Almost did because we talked about theology last week, I felt like I had kind of mentioned these things, and come on, we know this stuff. And so I kind of wanted to get to some of the next stuff, some of the other things in 1 Peter. And I, God convicted me through the Holy Spirit that just because I've been in this Christian walk since I was 12 doesn't mean that I no longer need what Jesus did. It doesn't mean I no longer need to be reminded and let that, let that memory of what Jesus did for me Bring me to joy in Him. And so here's what I want us to do. This morning we're going to talk about salvation. So I'm going to ask Amanda to throw this on the screen. And when I say salvation, here, here is what true salvation is. Salvation is the work of God for His glory and for our good. In today's world, we've got all kinds of different concepts of what salvation looks like. It's like the American hipster feel goodism okay? That's, that's the primary religion of our day, it seems, where what we're after is good things. We want to do the right stuff. We want to portray ourselves in the right way on social media. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because we all want to unfollow the person who's posting negative stuff on their Facebook, and we only really want to follow the people who are having, apparently having a far greater life than us, you know? And so our religion can become that. We think if we just do more stuff and we act better, that that's somehow going to outweigh maybe the things that have been done to us, those those wounds, those scars we carry around. Or maybe they'll overcome the things that we've done that weren't so good. And somehow, somehow maybe it'll impress our friends or even impress our God into loving us more. But that's not accurate. Because salvation is not about feeling good, doing good, being better. Salvation is all a work of God. It's something He accomplished. And it's for His glory. It's not just so that now, okay, I I made that decision, I believe in what Jesus did, and now I'm just moving on with my life, I'm, I'm looking at these other things, you know. It's not something to be put up on a shelf. It's, it's the message you use sticky notes to your dashboard to where you see it every, every morning. Salvation is the work of God for his glory and for our good. And i want to prove that to you in, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter in verse 3. So go ahead and look down there because I want you guys to see this. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Salvation is a work of God. And although our world might say, do better, be better, God says something different. If you've got your Bible, flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. This is an excellent passage. Many of you probably have it uh, memorized, perhaps. Chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. This is what it says, and I want you guys to hear this. Salvation is a work of God, right? Let's see this play out in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Look in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of who? It's a gift from Who? Your salvation is not something you've done. It's not you doing great stuff or working hard. It's about what Jesus did for you. See, Jesus is the one who purchased the gift. And Jesus is the one who offers it to you. You can't earn that. And if you spend your life, even as a Christian, even as a Christian, if you spend your life trying to make that up to God, all you're going to do is heap on stress as you try to do good and do everything right, and you're going to worry just like every other world religion in existence that lacks assurance of what happens after this life. Do you realize that? That's something every world religion has in common. It doesn't matter if you're talking to a Muslim or a Hindi or a Mormon. It doesn't matter. No matter who it is, The value system of the world and every world religion other than Christianity is how well you live versus how poorly you live. And the goal is to outweigh all the bad things you've done or all the evil thoughts you've had by doing more good stuff. But here's the problem. You can't see the scales. You don't have a notch for every time you did something wrong or good. You can't compare the list. And so instead, what happens is, if we live based on on, on what we can do, we will never be sure of where we stand before God. And if we we read the scripture, we learn in Romans that you can never be good enough. We've mentioned it several times in the series alone, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And when we talk about sin in the New Testament, and what we mean by falling short in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, what it means is take a bullseye and you've got this bow and arrow and you go to shoot and you miss the bullseye. And at that moment, if the only way that you can be good enough or or live in God's glorious standard is to hit that bullseye, it doesn't matter if you miss it by an inch or by like a mile. You've missed the mark. You have fallen short. And that's the status of every single one of us apart from the work of Christ. And so salvation is the work of God. Look at what he does. The first work of God right here in verse 3. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance. But he has caused you to be born again. That's the first work of God. It might sound familiar, John chapter 3, with the Pharisee Nicodemus. And he starts talking about how unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. That was the teaching of Jesus. Peter would be familiar with it. And so that's why he uses this term to be born again because here's the reality. We were all born to imperfection and poverty. All Every single one of us. We were born in the midst of our sin. You know, we can see it. I've got my son. He likes to laugh at us when we tell him no. You know, we didn't have to teach him that. You know? He just picks that up. Why? Because that's that's that sin-corrupted nature that's inside my beautiful 13-month-old. The cutest kid in the world, actually. But he can't escape that. And there's no amount of me raising him right or well that's going to change that. Do you realize that? It's the work of God for our salvation. He knows that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. But He has made us alive through Jesus Christ. Look at what it says. He has caused you to be born again. Yes, we got that. Skip down to see where the conclusion of the statement is, though. Look at it. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus died for us, but He came back to life for us. That's awesome. That's transformation. That's transformation. It's a fresh start. How many of you could wish in this moment, think think about it, that you could go back to maybe when you were like, let's say 16, because nobody wants to be 14 again. Let's say you could go back to when you were 16 with all the knowledge that you have now. I mean, come on, we would be hard-pressed for any single one of us to say, "Um, I don't want to do that, you know? We've all at least thought about it. Because deep down, we all long for a fresh start. There's some things we've done since we were 16, right, that we wish we did differently or maybe had explored something else, right? We all have that in common. But the only fresh start we have that's offered to us is this new beginning in Jesus. And that, that fresh start comes from what He has done. Jesus accomplished this in us. When He died on the cross, but then rose again three days later. But look at what happens next. That's the first work of God in our salvation. That's Him saving us. New birth in Him. But look down. Let's keep reading. He saved us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, yes, from the dead, to an inheritance, verse 4, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. We're going to come back to that. But look. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. First work of God, He makes you alive in Christ. Second work of God, He keeps you that way. He guards you. It's God's protection and God's promise. That's the second work of God in our salvation. And think about these songs that we just sang. Right? No kingdom, no power can stand against the great I Am. Nothing can stop God. The, the God that Peter witnessed On the earth was Jesus, and this dude walked on the waters and calmed the seas. This dude, he he, he healed every sickness, he cast out demons, he rose from the dead. Nothing could stop him. Not torture, not a spearhead. Nothing can stop God. And what I love about this, turn turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. Because I think there's someone in this room right now who needs to hear this. But it's not about, listen, listen, listen. It's God's protection and promise. You were saved by what Jesus did on the cross, but God keeps you saved by His power. Look at this. Look at this. Chapter 10 of John, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. You ready? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Keep reading. Keep reading. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them from his hand, not even yourself, not even you are strong enough to snatch yourself out of God's hand. And so what this means is it doesn't matter what trial you come against, what pain you have to live through, or what great moment you get to experience for the next ten years that causes you to totally get distracted from God, like you don't need Him. It doesn't matter what you go through. Nothing and no one is able to remove you from God's hand. See, salvation is a work of God. He gave you new life and he keeps you in it. That's crazy. But that's what he promises. And listen, Peter's life is the greatest example of any of this. Remember our first, the first two weeks we were in the Revolutionary Series? We looked at him walking on the water but totally sinking because he takes his eyes off Jesus. And in the next week we looked at his darkest moment when he denies ever knowing Jesus. That's crazy, right? And how it's recorded in every single gospel in the Bible. He can't escape that kind of shame. But what I love about it is God wasn't done with him yet. See, God saved him and gave him new life. But then over time, he was saving him as he grew more and more into who he was supposed to be and who God needed him to be for the early church. Peter's life shows us that we can be born again, fresh start, and that we are guarded by God's power last thing I want to say about this is is this. You're guarded by God's power for a salvation that is yet to be revealed. Simply this. God will finish it. He will. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. It's all about God. God's work saved you. God's work is saving you. And God's work will save you. Amen. That's our God. And that's what He's done for us. I mean, this is, this is crazy. But I don't want to get, get, get caught up here because I want you guys to see the purpose of this salvation. So salvation is the work of God for His glory. Go ahead and put that back on the screen for us, Amanda. Salvation is the work of God, but it's for His glory. I don't want you to miss that because that's, that's the purpose Look down in verse 6 and verse, through verse 8. Check it out with me. I need to switch back over to 1 Peter. Here we go. In verse 6, in this, that salvation we just talked about, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it is burned through fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Because of this salvation, we rejoice, regardless of our trials, because it's doing something in us. God is testing our faith, the genuineness of our faith, and the result is praise and glory and honor for Jesus. Because it's His work, remember? It's His work, and it's for His glory. And so I want you guys to check out these, first, these two words, various trials. If, you, if you're the underliner or highlighter type, I want you to circle that underline and highlight it, reach over to the person next to you, do it for them, right? Various trials. And I don't want you to miss this, okay? Peter, later on in this letter, is going to talk about suffering. He's going to talk about persecution. But that's not what this word's talking about. This Greek word for trials has to do with temptation. All right? Has to do with our own sin. Has to do with our own actions. All right? And that's very important, and here's why. We can rejoice regardless of the things we cause or the things that other people cause. We can rejoice regardless of those trials because God will be glorified in us. God's glory is the purpose in our trials. I want you to think of it like this. When you see this word various trials, I want you to think of it as sandpaper, right? These trials could be physical. They could be emotional. They could be financial. And these things come into our lives maybe by our stupid choices or they just happen to us because we live in a broken world. But God can redeem every single thing we encounter or go through just like sandpaper to a nice piece of wood. And over time, although it grates, although it hurts, it is able to shape us and smooth us into the image that God wants. Genuine faith is what he's after here. So we can rejoice because of what God is doing. And look at this this word, tested genuineness of your faith in verse 7. Which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. The tested genuineness will result in what? That we may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Gandalf kind of had to do this. I'm serious. In order to figure out and to test the genuineness of the one ring, he had to toss that sucker in the fire. And when Frodo takes it out, all of a sudden, you start to see this fiery lettering uh, be revealed on the, the band. Okay? And it showed that it was the real thing. All right? This thing was the Dark Lord's ring himself. Okay? This thing's crazy. They got to destroy it. But here's the thing that's what our trials are doing in us. They're testing our genuineness. And it results in praise to God. Because we know that it was God who saved us, God who is saving us, and God who will save us. And so this means no matter if it's this difficult guy at work that you can't escape maybe it's the boss who is micromanaging or it's just that that coworker who nags at you maybe even calls you out and it's just constant and it's hard to be in that environment that could be the trial that could be the test of your genuineness it could be a financial situation where that unexpected bill kind of comes in the mail it's testing, that genuineness. Do you trust God? Do you trust Him? That's what He's testing. That's what's coming about. God allows us to go through these things so He can shape us and so that He can cause us to rely on Him. And our problem is not that, not that we freak out in these trials, but that we get distracted. Remember I told you that Greek word for trials has to do with what we do to ourselves Sometimes. We can easily become distracted because our trial is really the trial of I want this. My dream is that. And, and, and we totally kill ourselves to get what we want, and we hurt ourselves to achieve the dream. But I want you, I want you to, to realize why that's wrong. Because who is the focus of those wants, those desires, and those dreams? It's you, it's self. And God's focus, the focus God wants us to have is on Jesus and what he has done. And Peter learned that in Matthew 14, walking on that water, right? So you see, these are life experiences, things Peter has had to learn the hard way. Why? Because he's always acting before thinking, much like us. But here's, here's the next thing. I want, to, I want us to get to this. So salvation is the work of God? Yes. But it's for His glory. The focus is Him, what He is doing, what He is able to do. But also notice the last line. It's for our good. Salvation is the work of God for your good. And I think that's important we need to hear that this morning. That's the difference between us and the rest of the world. We have a God who desires our benefit. He desires our joy. He desires us to glorify Him by accomplishing good things in our lives. I'm serious. Look at these verses. I'm going to take you back to verse 3. And I want you to see three benefits that come because God is after your good. You ready? In verse 3, you're going to see this. A living hope. Let's read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope. Right? A living hope. That's, that's the first great good thing God gives. Our hope is not in something that's dead. We're not, we're, we're, we're not Islam trusting in a dead prophet. We're not, we're not a Buddhist trusting in, 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 in a dead philosopher. Our Savior's over. Our God lives. And though He died on the cross for our sins, His power was greater than the amount of your sins, and He came back to life to prove that to you. He is alive. And Jesus can bring life to any situation you're in right now. If you're sitting here this morning, and the situation you're in is the fact that you do not trust God, You do not trust God enough to give you these good things. You do not trust God enough to actually save you from the things you've done. But you've been born again to a living hope if you believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive, not dead. The second benefit, keep reading in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This is the reward. This is the treasure that comes to you. It's your birthright. Not while you're dead in your sins. But when you're born again, you're born again into a new life. And now you have birthright as the son or daughter of God himself. And he has great things for you. You want to know what those great things are? It's Jesus himself. Remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about John chapter 17, verse 3, where Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, the eternal life and the inheritance we get is a relationship with God. And listen, listen, that comes with all the power and perfection and riches that are his. And that's why we can hope in Him. And that's why it's a living hope. It's because He's able to give us anything and do anything in our lives to bring Him to Himself, to to inspire us to praise Him so that He gets the most glory. God does not get the greatest glory when you have a sucky life. He gets the most glory when you trust Him regardless of your life. And that's important. This birthright. Maybe one day y'all get to hear Taylor's sermon on the birthright. I almost talked about that, but I didn't want to steal his thunder. But I want you guys to turn with me one last place. I know we're, we've been going to different places, but go back to Ephesians, because I want you guys to see this with your own eyes. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope and to an inheritance, a new birthright. Look in chapter 1 of Ephesians, in verse 18. Listen to this. Listen to this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened... That you may know, relationally, what is the hope to which He has called you. And what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards you. His riches, His power, unfathomable for you. According to the working of His great might. His work, again, not what you can do or can't do. What He's going to do in you. Don't miss that. That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. You ready? far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things under Jesus' feet. Every trial, struggle, pain, misery that you walk through is under Jesus' feet. He's in control. He can redeem you from it. And He made Him head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You are God's crown jewel. You are. And there's nothing he wouldn't do for you. That's why he sent his own son. He condemned his own son to death for you and for me. That was God's work for his glory and for our good. And the last thing I want you to see is this. Look in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Don't miss this. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him. Peter got to. Peter got to. But though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him in the middle of your trial, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome, the salvation of your souls. Rejoice in a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Inexpressible because it's, it doesn't make sense. Why any of us, because of the state of our world or our lives, it doesn't make sense how we could possibly turn to Him and, and, and no matter what we go through, experience joy, but we can because it's God's power in you that brings you joy. And it's filled with glory because its purpose is God. It is God's glory. See, God's glory is the source of your joy. And that's important. I'm going to invite Jeff and Hannah, if they're able, or Jeff, to come back up here because, listen, listen, do not miss this. It's not joy until you cannot contain it. It's not joy until you cannot help but share it. That's joy. Think about it. When you watch the epic play on the TV, and you're screaming, and you're hollering, and you're texting your friends how many goals they've got in the soccer game. It's not joy until you can't help but share it. That's why when something awesome happens in your life, you can't help but text your ladies and be like, oh my gosh, guess what? Remember I was talking about Dwayne Johnson knowing me, right? Double tapping my face. I had to share that to everybody i pretty sure I called Taylor. I don't know what happened. Something happened. He found out about it. And he was jealous. <laughs> jealous. Because it's not joy, and so you cannot contain it. And listen, God has worked our salvation for His glory and your good, and that, that should cause us to get a little joyful. Would someone in this room say thank God right now? Thank God. Because He saved you. He's done everything necessary. You can't screw it up. You can't.